2: Hey there Bengals fans, it's the weekend which means it's time for the weekend mailbag here on the Lockdown Bengals podcast and just before we get into that I want to remind you again to check out the Himalaya app. Our podcast is published as always on all the other places you can get your podcasts but the Himalaya app is a fantastic way to get all of your podcasts in the same place to find other podcasts that you might like. You can get personally curated playlists and new features coming out every day. So check out the Himalaya app and be sure to subscribe to Lockdown Bengals if you do. And as with the other applications, you can tell your smart device to play podcasts, Lockdown Bengals and off you go for your daily commute or workout or whenever you listen to us. One quick piece of news or two quick pieces of news, I guess, before we get into questions. First off, Vinny Curry has signed a contract with the Philadelphia Eagles, making him the second pass rusher edge defender to turn down a potential contract offer from the Bengals, joining Shaquille Barrett in the ranks. Also, the Bengals announced that Josh Tupos signed his exclusive rights free agent tender, so I think that's something like a $700,000 contract. He will be a depth player at the interior defensive line position. That's all the news. We have, I think, 26, 27 questions to get through today. The first one comes from Kyle Scoble at Scooby Snacks on Twitter. Marv's regime underutilized rookies and backups that had shown evidence of being better than starters. Have you seen any evidence around Taylor's coaching staff they're going to bring a best-player, well-play mentality. Also, can you mock-draft the X-Men at some point?
1: Yeah, we should definitely draft X-Men. I would love that. Um, let's do that maybe next week or in the future. Do, when, can we include, well, like, Magneto and the villains? Sure. I think they're Magneto's all playing, the
2: only huh? one I know, so I guess it doesn't really matter. For oh,
1: me. man. Then i got to bring in an expert, then. Yeah. And this is topical now that the X-Men are back with the... Uh, Disney and Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, as of yesterday. So anyways, uh, do we know that Zack Taylor is going to play the best player? And I, you know, I don't know that that was always Marv. I I know of some um, instances where it definitely was Marvin. I think there were definitely some instances where it was uh, management saying, basically, we have paid this guy $5 million. You should be playing him or getting him to the point of playing and using him. Uh, So that may still hold true that part I, I think you hope that you're playing the best player all the time I just it's hard to say until the guy goes out there you know you, you always put every year a little bit of faith in in the coaching staff and it could be to us well why are you playing Alex Redmond when we all know Christian Westerman's better and it may not be that for them you know their opinion of it is going to be different as we've seen even in free agency uh teams aren't Listening to Pro Football Focus grades, I mean, we have them and we use them as a tool, but they're not the end all be all. So it's hard for us to say who's better and who's not unless it's really, really clear. Yeah, maybe we
2: should ask Pro Football Focus about that sometime when they see. I'd love to have them on. Yeah, when we see when we see some of these contracts, like C.J. Mosley, for example, I think like they would say dramatically overpaid. quite Alexander's down in the bobby hart tier of contracts for them not not quite i think but like in that in that neighborhood right yeah so it's interesting um i i kind of want to just echo your points we don't know much about zach taylor every time we've answered this question what's zach taylor going to do we've kind of been leaning on what sean McVay did and they're different people so anytime we answer this question it's coming with the caveat of Zach Taylor's never made these decisions before as a head coach, so we don't really know what he's going to do. We know what the Bengals have done in the past. Joe alluded to some of the pressure coming down from the front office, so we know that's there. We we don't know what Taylor's
1: going to do yet. And the other part is Taylor, when he has spoken, I feel like it hasn't been as strong as Marvin has been, but the coach speak has been very strong with Taylor, so it's hard to know yet what he plans on doing. Yeah, he talks about getting the best
2: out of players, not necessarily you know, meritocracy.
1: (laughs) I want to know how to. All right. Next question is from, Oh, I don't even know how to say this. What do you got, Jake? What is this? Sabuteo 42 B. Subuteo. So, yeah,
2: Sabuteo 42 B. I
1: don't know. Sounds good to me. Anyways, he asks if you could bring back any former Bengal that currently plays for another team on that current deal, who would it be? Andrew Whitworth. Yeah, I guess that's right. It would be Andrew Whitworth, even though you get him for maybe another year, and that's that's about it. Obviously, he's contemplating retirement, right? Uh, the only other guy I really even thought of was uh, Jonathan Joseph, and I think that would give them you know three corners. I don't know which guy would play in the slot, but at the same time, uh, he's still pretty effective yeah. at his age. It's funny because there's not really a young guy that I'd say, because the young guys that they've lost – I mean, Kevin Zeitler would be a huge upgrade at right guard, right? And he's still decently in his prime. Uh, Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu, I feel like they've Mm -hmm. replaced those guys with at least draft picks or high draft picks that you hope can outperform those guys or at least match their production, and they probably have with Boyd and Sanu. Uh, So, yeah, the obvious answer is is probably Whitworth, but I think number two may be Kevin Zeitler. I thought about Zeitler. I just think his contract at guard
2: is going to be too rich. For for the Bengals considering the rest of their spending on their offensive line. Of course, if they had Zeitler, they wouldn't have spent on John Miller. Uh I, I thought offensive about, line is
1: now their their most uh lucrative position. Yeah, I saw that tweet.
2: I, I, I think when you mention Marvin Jones, that's pretty appealing. Marvin Jones with, with Boyd and Green sounds better to me than John Ross right now.
1: Oh, of course it does. Yeah. Marvin Jones has shown more and proven more and and you know his high end ability is pretty good. That would give you a trio of some pretty unstoppable receivers. I can't even think of who else is out there right now. I mean, they haven't lost that many high end guys yeah. in the, that are still playing. You know, when we look at it, the one of them is thirty, what, six, thirty seven, Jonathan Joseph's in his thirties. It's it's not a it's not a great list of of, of players. And Zeitler's the other one.
2: I yeah. guess that's yeah. that's some credit to them, but next question comes from Jay, or Jai, Jai Roberts, on Twitter. I like getting a guy like Greer as a backup with potential. But three-fourths of starters, I'm assuming a quarterback in the league, are first-rounders. If 14 goes down again, the season's over. So is that third-rounder better spent on defensive line, tight end, or anywhere but quarterback, and we just see what happens in the 2020
1: draft? And I had this debate with other people on Twitter also, because... And I agree. I've always said, I, if you're not taking a first round quarterback, you probably probably shouldn't do it at all. It's very rare for mid round or and especially late round guys to become anything more than more than just spot starters and and primary backups for their careers. The few that have done it have you know, hit, and you say, well, you point to them as examples of why, but if there's a quarterback that you still like in the mid-rounds and feel he has the potential, now you're not getting a complete prospect, obviously. You're not getting a complete quarterback prospect if you're picking 11 or 15 or 20 either. Uh, So it, it becomes a debate of, what else have they done in the third round in past years? You know, it's it's n- not any less safe to take a quarterback than it is to take a tight end that w- ended up being Tyler Croft or Paul Dawson or Sam Hubbard or Willie Jefferson. I mean, out of those four guys, they've only ever gotten really anything out of Crawford for one year, and Hubbard uh, had a few plays as a rookie, but it could easily have been a linebacker that doesn't do anything like Jefferson and, and, or Chase Kaufman, or you get one year out of Jordan Shipley. I mean, there's plenty of third-rounders. Third round hasn't been the strong point for the Bengals, to be honest. And, and when you look at it, it's just as risky to take a guy that maybe he's just a career backup for a long time. That has some value, uh, but maybe he hits. Maybe that tight end in the third round hits, and it ends up being a decent tight end. Maybe that quarterback hits and ends up being a, a starting quarterback. Which one has more value? I, for me, I think it's the quarterback. So if there's one guy there that still has your interest, I think it's worth it.
2: Yeah, I think there's just this idea that if it's a defensive lineman or a tight end or a receiver or running back in the third round, even if they don't go all world, they can at least get on the field and contribute. That's true. Quarterback, you only have one quarterback on the field at the time, but so the thing with Greer specifically is I think he might get drafted in the second round. I know that some of you have strong feelings about Will Greer and think he has a noodle arm and think he, think he makes bad decisions under pressure. He does. He does make bad decisions under pressure at, time, at times. I, I don't think the arm strength limitation really affects his game that much, at least from what I saw. And what the stats say as well, I watched a few Will Greer games last night after somebody tweeted us and said, you know, he has a really weak arm, needs a load up, and he makes bad choices. So maybe Will Greer never turns into anything, but like Joe said, maybe neither does uh, whoever defensive lineman you draft in the third round.
1: Yeah, they've drafted plenty of third round guys, Brandon Thompson. I mean there's they've then they got something out of Michael Johnson. So there's plenty of examples uh both ways in the third round. Third round you really start to get the developmental process back that may not do anything. And if, for me, one of my biggest knocks on Greer is his bad decision making. And for me, I kinda want that a little bit right now. We have a guy that has throughout his career been ultra conservative in these situations and it's hurt them more than it's helped them. And in my opinion, I would like a guy that maybe takes a little bit of chances in our next quarterback. But next question here is from Brady Mueller Mueller. Ah, I'm bad with names. Anyways, could you please compare Devin Bush versus Devin white? I have heard a few people say they liked Bush's tape better. Was it not far behind white athletically at the combine? Is there much of a difference? Would you be happy with Bush at 11? The one
2: big... There are a couple of big differences, I think. And, and one of them is... Devin Bush has more productivity in his career. And has shown more skill as a pass rusher. As a blitzer. And I think there are people that are concerned that Devin White doesn't do a good job of reading his keys. And will over-pursue or just play out of control at
1: times. I think that's fair. I say... You know, I thought on tape White was a better athlete. Bush tests similarly. When you go back and watch Bush to see if it compares, you see the flashes of him being an athlete. I think uh, Bush may be better with his keys and staying uh, within the the scheme or or his responsibilities of the defense. But Bush also ha- deals with blockers worse than White does. I think White runs around mm-hmm. him and gets through him a little bit better, where Bush gets caught up in traffic a little bit more. I think White is a little bit better in. Pass coverage than Devin Bush is, actually. I think uh, even yeah. though Bush may move a little bit more qu- uh, fluidly, especially in his back pedal, I think White has better awareness and understanding yeah. of, of concepts and, and how he's being attacked. Uh, even though neither guy had a lot of turnovers in terms of uh, in, in coverage or, or getting their hands on the ball, but Bush was used a little bit more as a blitzer, and that's why you see a little bit more production there as, a, as that role. Um, for me, I still think White is the better prospect. I I say sometimes, and I've said Bush's tape is better, because there are a lot of games where White gets out of position and out of control. And and when I say tape is better, I think uh, Bush is more of the easier evaluation in terms of, okay, he's, he's losing on this play, but at least he's in the right spot and he knows what he's doing. Where White is less losses, but more of I'm not sure where he's going or what he's looking at. And that can also be because LSU's defense is hyper-aggressive run defense, and they've been that way for a long time. And I think that puts White in situations where he's going to lose more often. So I still think White's the better guy. Last question, would you be happy with Bush at 11? I think if the draft fell a certain way— I would be happy with Bush at 11. I wouldn't want Bush over at Oliver. I wouldn't want Bush over. Honestly, I don't know if I'd want Bush over the two tight ends, but I can understand the need at tight end versus the need at linebacker right now. So I could I could uh, get down with that. But I do think there are still a few guys that could drop that would make me want them over Devin Bush.
2: That's where we get into the whole blue chip versus need debate that we've talked about on the podcast in the past when we've justified taking uh, Devin White over a tackle, even though I don't know that tackle is necessarily, like we talked about this too, we don't know that tackle is necessarily a priority anymore at 11. Right. When you say Devin White's better in coverage and LSU has this run-focused defense, I I haven't seen much of Devin Bush yet. What are the coverage strengths and weaknesses for both guys, if you can summarize them in about... Two sentences each.
1: Yeah, um, where Bush is more spying the quarterback and and or blitzing. And there are times where he does uh, get to cover. uh, But White is more – he gets more opportunities to cover, drop into the middle of the field, especially like cover two defense type thing, especially in zone coverage where he gets to – I'd say Bush a lot of times – plays like an outside linebacker where you end up in more man coverage and covering the flats where white is more covering the middle and curl flat type uh, area of, of the middle of the field and white typically takes away those those um intermediate passes and and who's that guy in
2: the Bengals right now is that like Nick Vigil is your is your guy playing is it's, it
1: it's Ben Vigil as the it depends because they've all been hurt right it, yeah Perfect has typically went inside in their nickel, and they've allowed yeah. Vigil to be the weak side guy. And then yeah. when Perfect wasn't there, they moved Vigil inside and would have Jordan Evans or sometimes mm-hmm. it would be Hardy Nickerson. But um, And then to start last year when Perfect was out again, it was Preston Brown inside and Vigil mm-hmm. at the weak side spot. So I think they're open to whatever and just get the be- two best guys out there. But if one of them is Preston Brown, he's definitely the inside guy. I think they probably have a preference to keep Vigil on the weak side i i would assume i you know i think they only probably put them inside when they had um yeah. someone you know when they're lack of another player to go in there yeah it's interesting i mean just in terms
2: of a, a positional fit a scheme fit it sounds like devin white might have more of that experience uh, especially playing that middle that cover two that does do they play tampa two with a deep middle
1: linebacker there's there they do at times um college's defenses are so much different than NFL defenses right now and they're continuing to roll that way because they're constantly defending the spread but yeah they do um they white more often than Bush gets a chance yeah. to I think cover the, the deep middle
2: I think that has to have some value when you talk about NFL readiness to play you know NFL coverages and in the common the common coverages at least in the NFL
1: and Coverage is going to be a knock for both guys, so I don't want to sound like either one's good. It's hard to describe what they do and really say that either one is good, but I do think White is much better in coverage than people give him credit for.
2: And we'll have time to really break down these individual players. There's still, what, a month? Two two months? A month and a half until the draft?
1: Yeah.
2: Our next question comes from Tyler, at tylerlindsay 8 on Twitter. How much money... Would it take to buy the Cincinnati Bengals franchise? Would the family ever consider selling the team for a very large amount, asking for hope?
1: Well, I don't think you could win the lottery and buy them, right? Um, no, you, uh, you've got some stats, and I don't think you the Mega Millions would get you there. I wonder. My question would be more is, and I don't know if you know the answer, Jake. Could you buy fifty one percent of a franchise? I feel like that's what these
2: figures are. Like these are people buying the majority ownership stake, uh, but, I got but maybe you. not.
1: Yeah. Cause if you could buy 51% and have a, a you know, I was kind of hoping the bills sell for 1.6 billion. And if I have 850,000, I can, million. you know, yeah, that's what I meant. 850 million. I could buy them and be the majority owner and be the owner. But uh, yeah, that would be a hit to my hopes and dreams if that's not the case. The Bengals were valued in 2018 at
2: $1.8 billion, which is the third least valuable franchise in the NFL. If somebody was interested in buying the Bengals, and I'm sure there have been people interested in buying the Bengals because there's nothing, (laughs) there's really not, maybe not nothing, but very few things more profitable than owning an NFL franchise, especially in the last 10 years. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the family would have sold if if they were going to sell at this point. To be honest, I think that they, uh, as long as Mike Brown is alive, anyway, I, I think the family isn't going anywhere. I think maybe, I think that I think that I think his kids also have a great deal of pride in running the Bengals, though, and, and have that familial sense of honor or whatever it is that Mike Brown or yeah,
1: that Mike Brown has. I so, wonder if they ever get pressured into selling from other owners because the more profits they churn is better for everyone. And and so, but that would
2: be to move the team.
1: That's the only way I think that happens. Yeah. But also to sell the naming rights and things like that.
2: Yeah. But again, like I think if the, if that's why they sell, if it's other NFL teams are like, you guys aren't pulling your weight, it's going to be to move the team to a bigger market. Yeah. Uh, for reference, the most recent sale was the Panthers at $2.3 billion, which is about what their estimated value was in 2018. I think that any offer for the Bengals would have to start around $2 billion.
1: So we'd all have to win the mega millions within like five years, all of us together, straight together, and then chip in and we'd all have to buy the team. That's the only way this is going to happen, right? How many Bengals fans exist? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's gotta be a study out there somewhere. Let's say it's it, 250000 or something. It's going to be more than that. I was going to say a million.
2: You think there's a million Bengals fans? Okay, sure. If there's a million Bengals fans and we all chipped in $2,000, we could own 1% of the team each or whatever that works out to. <laughs> I wasn't doing the math in
1: my head while you are doing that. And I'm thinking, oh, that's it, $2,000. let us do it. What's our next uh, question, Joe? It's from Stripe City. And he asks, if it's quarterback murray
2: or haskins so there this is a loaded question right so yeah if it's murray it means they probably have to trade up if it's haskins it means maybe maybe they still have to trade up but maybe he's also slipped to 11 due to whatever concerns people have maybe the teams ahead of the bengals want to pick drew lock but i think i think teams might even trade ahead of the bengals they might yeah. try to trade to 9, 8, 11, whatever it is, or 9, eight, ten. sorry, to, to pick whatever
1: QB is still there if they like one of the guys. So On that I, point, Jake, I don't think every Bengals fan is into quarterback or into even believing that this team could. But I will say from the whispers I do get once in a while, other teams are aware that the Bengals may take one. And, not, and that doesn't mean they will. It means that, like, okay, if we want a guy – we got to get ahead of the Broncos and Bengals at nine and 10 Yeah, or, or, or 10 and 11. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: I think, I think that awareness is around nationally too in the media. You can see, you know, Alex Van Pelt was at the OSU pro day watching Dwayne Haskins. I, we don't know if Zach Taylor's at Mizzou today or if uh, Alex Van Pelt is down at Mizzou for Drew Locke's pro day today, but we know that uh, Zach Taylor has seen Kyler Murray's pro day and he's seen Dwayne Haskins pro day.
1: And when you look at what head, which head coaches are going to these things with the top quarterbacks, it's like the Giants, the Jaguars, the Redskins, the Dolphins, and then the Bengals. It's like, well, okay, so those five teams, four of them, we all agree, need a quarterback. And then one, was like, oh, no, the Bengals aren't there for the quarterback. You know, some fans, a small section of fans are like, oh, no, they're not there for that. And I'm just kind of like, okay, well, you know, these other teams are. I would say, why aren't we in that category then? Yeah, they might be. from From... From just like a which player would I have perspective it's
2: Murray and it's not particularly close if it's Murray plus I have to give up XYZ picks or Haskins and I get him at eleven
1: then it gets a little bit closer I think I still want Murray it comes down to what are you more comfortable with so I'm gonna let people decide on what they're more comfortable with comfortable with with the two starters because they're both they both bring a bit of risk because they're one year starters mm-hmm Typically, that's bad for drafting quarterbacks. So both have that same risk. Uh, Both have strong enough arms, have enough talent in my opinion. I think Kyler Murray has more raw talent. uh, And we talked about this, his ability to escape the pocket run, arm strength, just a whip of an arm, uh, deep accuracy, really feels more calm and cool when things are breaking down. Haskins is more... He can run your system to perfection, especially once that, that system really got— I mean, that last half of the year was really tremendous for him. And he will run it to perfection. He's on that spectrum of, of guys that are going to get the ball out on time to the right guy and keep the offense moving. Uh, the, the concern for me is with Murray, it's that he's a size outlier. So you know going in, not only does he already have the one-year experience negative, his size is going to make him— uncomparable to anybody else even if we want to say Russell Wilson and those guys he's still even smaller than, than those and so and
2: there's also for I think some people and maybe some teams some character questions that he'll need to answer in interviews
1: he's quiet and that has hurt other quarterbacks before it hurt Teddy Bridgewater it hurts um Lamar Jackson and I don't want to just compare to athletic type or or black quarterbacks but they Our quarterback is expected to be a boisterous vocal leader, and I think it can hurt you when you're a a quiet-type guy. So anyways, you go to Haskins, and Haskins' concern is more on tape. Haskins doesn't deal with pressure well. He doesn't go off script very well, and his deep accuracy can be very sporadic. So what are you more comfortable with, the guy that's a size outlier but really on tape has everything you want outside of a few issues that obviously every guy's got to clean up after a one-year starter? Or do you want the guy that on tape, uh, had more issues that are going to maybe limit his game if he doesn't iron them out in the future and if he even can. So I'll leave that up to people to decide because I'm not even sure which one I want. But uh, th- that's what you're debating, basically.
2: So for you, it comes down to size outlier versus maybe this is a maybe high floor, low ceiling kind of guy in ha- in Haskins?
1: If he's exactly who he is right now, he's on the Derek Hart, Andy Dalton corner of quarterbacks. And that's not a bad thing. You're going to get a lot of good production and play out of Haskins. I think he's a very safe prospect. And I think the upside in him is that he is a one year starter and perhaps his issues see like Andy Dalton and Derek Carr carr I think started three years Dalton Four in college. They you knew what they were coming out. Haskins, there is a very good chance that a lot of these weaknesses get cleaned up and fixed as he progresses and, and sure. mentally and, and, you know, mechanically continues to grow. And he's 21 years old, big difference from Dalton as a 24-year-old rookie. So um, there is potential there that he fixes all of these things. But as of right now on the tape we have, the evidence we have, he um, has issues.
0: Yeah.
2: So it's an interesting debate at quarterback. I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. Mike Do- Mike Donahue, the Mike D1, or Mike d d the one asked the same question just wanted to shout out that name as well um a lot of people are asking i think about haskins Locke, murray we even had somebody ask about uh trevor lawrence and and tua and uh herbert for the next couple years and we're we're just not ready to answer that question
1: yeah i mean it's, it's worthy to keep your eye on those guys but um it's, uh, we'll talk about them if it becomes a real scenario. The next question comes from at B Villono. Who was
2: someone you guys were really excited the Bengals drafted but never really worked out in the Marvin era?
1: I guess this depends on what you consider working out because the first guy I thought of was Ray Maluga. And this is before I really watched tape and graded. I would watch college football. Maluga was so fun at USC and he was a power downhill guy. And then he had a couple interceptions, returned for touchdown. And I remember thinking, man, this guy would be really fun. He's probably talked about as a top 15 guy when you're going through the draft process. And then he's there in the second round. So I thought, value. Um, getting a guy that was real fun on tape. I thought Marvin Lewis was getting his Ray Lewis. I thought Ray Maluga is going to come in and change this defense. And I wouldn't say he didn't work out. He was a second-round pick, and he started for a handful of years. I mean, really, a, a good length of time for an NFL career. Uh, but he wasn't what I expected. Honestly, I stood up and fist-pumped so hard when they drafted Ray Maluga. I was so excited for him. Um, and if it was probably five years earlier, he probably has a much different career.
2: Yeah. Uh, there there are a lot of guys that have been have had disappointing or sad endings for the Bengals under Marvin Lewis Keith Rivers Chris Henry Odell Thurman yeah. David Pollack you can pick oh, any yeah. of those guys and say yeah man if those guys had stayed healthy had stayed out of trouble whatever it was that was the issue they could have had excellent career Odell Thurman man outstanding outstanding play that year and then just falls off the face of the earth. Never hear from him again.
1: Yeah. he was. You would love an Odell Thurman right now. Athletic. Had five interceptions as a rookie. Forced fumbles. I mean, he was a beast. He was really, really good. And then he turns out he was an alcoholic. So that ended his career early.
2: Yeah, it's too bad. So there, there are plenty of those guys around. Deron Smith. Somebody we've talked about lately, lighting it up in the AAF right now, never made it to the Bengals' active roster. I'm still not over it. Still not over it. No,
1: he made it on the active roster. He uh, played. If you check the the Bills game 2016, he had a really good PFF grade.
2: Oh, yeah. Wikipedia lied to me. Said that he was on the practice
1: squad, and then he was on the Cleveland practice squad. Yeah, it's not true. He played uh, 120 snaps, I want to say, year two, 16 snaps, year one. And... uh... Yeah, he made a lot of plays in preseason and in camps. And Deron Smith, I, I went over, just before we started this, my draft grades from 2014 and 2015. I remember 14 was Darquette, Denard, Jeremy Hill, Bodine, um, Clark, and and uh, McCarran. 15 was Obwehi and Fisher and Croft and Dawson and yada, yada, yada. The highest guy I had graded. Pre-draft, so this is before they drafted these guys, was Deron Smith, and he was a seventh-round pick. And when you watch him at Fresno, he could do it all. He's a little bit undersized, a little bit on the shade slow um, uh, in terms of speed and athleticism. I think he's quick enough. But uh, he was always good in coverage, willing tackler, would come down, make hits, uh, really – instinctive and aware in coverage and would take out routes and 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 sometimes two routes and, and jump different um plays and know where the quarterback was trying to go with it he'd make some crazy awareness interceptions at fresno and i loved him i thought he was the best safety prospect in that draft so i that is a guy definitely for me that i wonder what the hell happened with the bengals and why it didn't work out and why he didn't get more opportunities and for whatever reason it didn't happen and it didn't happen with cleveland either and now he's the best player in the AAF, and you wonder if he's going to get another opportunity. You got to think he will. You do. Uh, along those same
2: lines, if talk talking about safeties, if if neither Devin Bush or White is available at eleven, name cannot be Dank at Nug Funny. asks uh, Is there any chance Sean Williams plays more of a money backer role and Clayton Fedgelum gets more snaps?
1: That would be interesting. I We talk about Sean Williams playing more linebacker all the time, and a lot of good teams do it. Uh, mostly three, four teams or three-man front teams are willing to do it uh, for whatever reason. I think it's just to get another actual linebacker or, or cover linebacker on the field. Um, I would be all for Sean Williams. You just have to trust that third safety. And while Clayton Fedulum had a lot of splash plays, he kind of runs around like he doesn't know what he's doing sometimes on tape. And he... he you know there's there, well, I talk about Deron Smith kind of jumping into different routes and different um different coverages and, and trying to bait the quarterback or or read the quarterback's eyes when Fedgulum does it he looks like a crazy man back there and and you kind of wonder does he know what he's doing or is this just how he moves and runs and you know intent is sometimes hard to judge off tape uh but the Bengals didn't play him more and in fact towards the end of the year when they did go to more three safety looks they used Brandon Wilson instead so you kind of wonder where they feel fedulum is in terms of coverage and maybe a new staff will feel differently or get them to play differently and if that's the case then yes you have to trust that third safety is the first part though
2: yeah i was gonna say maybe if they were to draft like a Juan thornhill or amani what was the guy's name from iowa hooker is it amani hooker okay i thought i was confusing him with with malik hooker anyway Maybe if they get you know uh, another another safety that they can trust in the back end, then then I feel better about it. If it's Clayton Fedgelum, then then I yeah I'm I'm
1: not over the hurdle that Joe's talking about of of trusting him back there. Yeah, he's and honestly, he's developed way better than I ever expected. Anyways, out of Fegulum, so if he takes the next step, which is very possible, then yeah, let's do it. Let's get more safeties and more quick, fast, and coverage guys on the field. I'm all for that. Yeah. Next next questions from Brazy Bengal, and he says first question. Again, if Haskins is somehow there at 11, what are the odds of us actually pulling the trigger? Second question. Who is your favorite Bengal of all time? Brazy Bengal says, his is Chad Johnson. Love the show. Keep up the content. Who day? Uh,
2: yeah. I, I, First off, thank you. Appreciate that. We will do our best to keep up the great content. Who is my favorite Bengal of all time? I have a real soft spot, actually, for Rudy Johnson. I, I just, he was, he was, he scored a lot of touchdowns when, when I was like a formative Bengal fan. Like We've got some really young Bengals fans.
1: What did Rudy Johnson do so well? He scored. He did score, but he was so squatty and had such great balance. You remember the highlight of him catching a pass in the flat and Troy Palomalo coming up and hitting him in the thigh and he keeps his balance and dives for the pylon and scores. Yeah. You remember that? I mean, he was—he scores, man. He scores five nine two fifteen, but I, I definitely think he got up to into the two twenties at one point. So think of that size guy. Think of Giovanni Bernard, and he maybe had a little bit of height than Bernard, but with extra fifteen to twenty pounds on him, and how thick and muscular that was, and his balance, and he'd be a pinball machine in there. He was fun. Rudy Johnson was fun, and that's
2: when the Steelers had Jerome Bettis just killing the Bengals, and so it yeah. was nice to have somebody who could do, do that to another team. Another one, I'll say, TJ Hushmanzada, man. That guy, he catched the ball, and then after he caught the ball, he ran like a running back. He was yep. so hard
1: to bring down with the ball in his hands. Hushmanzada was so mentally smart, and him and Carson Palmer were on, on the same page. They ran the Y option route all the time out of the slot, and he could just pick based on the coverage where he was supposed to go, where he was supposed to sit, when he was supposed to sit, and him and Carson Carson Palmer were just on it, man. I think 114 catches, 113, was it two years? Uh, and it's just, I mean, that's something that we haven't seen even with A.J. Green. It's, it's He was the ultimate possession receiver in, in between Chris Henry and, and Chad Johnson. For me, my favorite of all time is Corey Dillon. And it's mostly because that's when I first started to really care about the Bengals. And they were so bad, but he was so good, yeah. and even when teams knew they didn't have a quarterback or a passing game, and they did a couple times with Jeff Blake and the receivers they had, but uh, for the most part, it was Corey Dillon, and he's running behind Willie Anderson and a few other uh, linemen they had, but he there'd be eight in the box, and he wouldn't be stopped, and then as the Bengals aren't on TV, and he breaks off 278 yards versus the Broncos, and that's like all they're talking about on TV, and I'm like, look at this man, and they're talking about the Bengals finally, and look at Corey Dillon out here running it up, and yeah, for me, he w- he always has a uh, a soft spot. But Chad Johnson, I would agree with this yeah. guy too. Chad put the Bengals on the map in more ways than one. And he was so fun and so much, you know, there was so much positive to look up to him even off the field because, you know, he always seemed to be having a good time and not into all the other stuff that, that sometimes those other Bengals teams were known for. And he just seems like a good guy in general. He's still a good guy. Just giving out money to people that need it. I'm blocked on Twitter from Chad Johnson, yeah, by the way. That's too bad.
2: Yes. Chad's Ch- Ch- definitely up there for me. When I was when when Chad was playing for the Bengals, he was my favorite player on the Bengals. I had the Chad Johnson jersey. Uh, other guys, honorable mentions, I think Andrew Whitworth, uh, Willie Anderson. Um, There's gonna be I, some
1: old guys listening to this and saying, "Come on,
2: Tyler Eifert, AJ Green." Yeah, but I'm I'm
1: 30. What do you want from me? Right, I'm 32. I don't have many memories. Icky Woods is probably the oldest guy I actually have a memory of, and that's because he danced. I don't. I don't remember Icky
2: Woods. I don't. I remember, I think, like, the earliest Carl Pickens, maybe? The earliest name I, I can actually remember having a memory of.
1: I have a, I had a Boomer Esiason book as a kid.
2: I don't remember Boomer. I mean, I, I I don't think I was paying attention when I was that young. Anyway. Uh, The first part of the question was, if Haskins is somehow there at 11, what are the odds of actually pulling the trigger? I feel like we've talked about this quite a bit.
1: That's right. The odds are this, though. You have to first grade him as a potential franchise quarterback. So it's hard to say with quarterbacks, well, and I get this question all the time, and even from other fans of other teams because they want to know if their team's got to get ahead of the Bengals. Would the Bengals draft Drew Locke? Would the Bengals draft Dwayne Haskins? I don't know. I don't know. The hardest part is quarterback because it's going to be their own personal, and they are going to have the most work done on these guys. To find out, do they think he's a franchise quarterback? And that's it, the first hurdle. And if he is, then then maybe. If not, then no.
2: And it's the new coaching staff. And if it was Marvin Lewis, we could probably say nope. They won't. Right. Anyway, they have been looking at quarterback. I should I should give them credit. They were looking at quarterback in Marvin Lewis's last couple of years. What's our next question, Joe? Is it my turn? It is your turn. Tyler asked Tyler Lindsay, eight with the CBA coming up in twenty twenty one, do you think the Bengals will try to get as many deals as possible done with players they like on the roster, and be a little more aggressive with what's remaining of this year's free
1: agency, and be a lot more aggressive next year's free agency?" Man, I don't know. I've never even considered this. Uh, how you could approach or attack, and I bet the good teams are already figuring this out and, and figuring how to how to do this. Um, you see it around the NFL right now.
2: You're seeing you're seeing the first two years. And you're seeing ways for in free agent contracts that have been signed in this period, you're seeing ways for teams to get out of it in that third year because they and don't think the, the CBA is going to break.
1: Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I don't know. I mean, last time, this, the 2011 CBA changed the landscape of the NFL and free agency and how, um, like yesterday's podcast, building around a rookie quarterback, it became advantageous. And. We could see this completely getting switched up or changed again after the next CBA comes up. So uh, it'd probably be hard to predict what changes will be there, but I bet some teams have a good idea.
2: This will be a great question once we actually get our uh, cap expert on, because he's he's going to be more tuned into the CBA and what the what the big issues are going to be and they when they negotiate the next one. Because I'm pretty unaware; I haven't read up on it. I know I know. actually one issue that Russell Okung has actually brought attention to is one issue that's a big problem for the Bengals fans, and that's guaranteed money, and putting that money into escrow, which is an issue for owners, because they want to keep the money liquid, and, and the players want that guaranteed money, and so for some teams, like the Bengals, that that's a real hurdle, so Russell yeah. Okung wants to get rid
1: of the escrow requirement. And I'm sure some teams would probably do like yeah. to do that also, so... Yeah. That'll be interesting, even if if they could do that, but somehow get more money, I think that would be beneficial to the players and the team and the teams. you know I think a lot of teams would like that anyways. next question's from Joey Meza, and it's jay Meza jr forty four at Twitter He does he asks, does Bengal's cutting perfect affect y'all's opinion of Bengals maybe being more willing to move on from veterans at the end of their contracts or in the future no. I don't
2: think so. I think that perfect is a special case. I think that you could ask me that question about Iloka last year, and then I'd say maybe there's a little bit more tolerance to release a guy that they think they have a replacement
1: for. That week, though, remember they released Iloka, and then the week after was Final Cuts, and they released Michael Johnson, and I thought, man, look at this. Look at these Bengals. But then they re-signed Michael Johnson to the same exact deal following It was crazy. Like, I was shocked when they
2: released Iloka. That was was wild news. And I was like, are we really trusting this Jesse Bates guy? And then he goes out and balls out. So great. I don't know. I, I don't think that they've really changed their modus operandi in this area. And they would need to do stuff like cut Bobby Hart next year to prove it to me, or take a post-June 1 cut on John Miller if he doesn't play well. And I hope yeah. both those guys play well, but those are just the first examples that come off the top of my head. Like, they're not cutting Dre Kirkpatrick right now. Should Another team would have cut Kirkpatrick
1: already, right? I don't know about already, but maybe this year. Yeah, I, I do think some of the cuts they have made have been too late. Even if they've made them, I think other teams would be already on these guys. Like, either I got to trade them for a late-round pick, or I'm cutting them.
2: And, and we've talked about the the average dead cap around the NFL yeah. and the fact that the Bengals are way, 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 way below that. It tells you that they're not generally willing historically to cut guys. I don't think perfect signals a, a change in that area, but they have opportunities to, to get out of some contracts in the next couple of years. So we'll have to see how the team building goes and what the
1: approach is then. Yeah. And, and also, Perfect had other factors. I mean, oh, exactly. they, right. So it's easier to cut him because, number one, he killed all of his guaranteed money that was left on his contract by getting suspended again. And number two, he continued to be a problem and then had his worst year. So yeah. Perfect was an easy cut that even the Bengals made, obviously. Uh, but I think other teams may have not even re signed him when the Bengals did.
2: Next question comes from Caleb at OSU Bengals. I wonder if he means Oklahoma State or Ohio State. Anyway, the question from the quarterback review pod. And it's running definitely back Ohio
1: State. Pod. Why are you doing
2: that? Because I like to give Ohio State fans a hard time, okay. obviously. I went to Northwestern University, guys. I'm
1: a, I'm a Big Ten rival. You know, we never got the answer to answer that question from a few weeks ago. Remember that? They asked us what college we went to. Well, now they know. Yeah. I did not go to college, <laughs> so now you know.
2: Question from the Running Backs Quarterbacks pod. We were hard on the Bengals taking Walton due to big risks and that they didn't need a running back. When you don't need to hit at a position, isn't that the ideal time to take a risk, Joe?
1: I would agree with that logic. If you don't need a guy, it's a great time to take a risk to see if he can pan out because then you're not hamstrung if he doesn't. I would say the type of player they drafted – didn't offer the upside that the risk was was worth, um, in my opinion. Like we said yesterday, Walton is uh, coming off injury and didn't test well. He had two big factors against him. So to, so to say he had high upside would be weird because – It's a big it, if at best, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it is a big if. He, he had a lot of hurdles to overcome. So, in my opinion, if you want to take a high upside risk because you don't need that player, you do it with a more – see, and it's hard to – How do you put value on what upside may be upside to me is this guy has issues in his game and that's why he's still there in the third fourth fifth round wherever we're at but he's got the athletic upside he showed flashes on tape and we can find a way to develop him for a couple years so i would say walton has had the tape but he didn't have the testing that made you think he had the athletic upside right You know, who's a who's a guy
2: who in this year's draft class, I would say, would be an upside kind of pick if people weren't talking about him in the first round is Josh Jacobs. Yeah, he he didn't test great. He flashed that excellence, but he had very limited college tape. He was in a timeshare at Alabama with Damian Harris, but people loved what he put on tape and think, yeah, he's he's the most
1: talented guy in the draft. You know, was, the opposite, I would say, was Alvin Kamara. Tested fantastically, yeah. but had to split time at Tennessee his whole career. And I think he transferred from Alabama before that. But So he never had college high-end production, but the flashes were there. So yeah. he's a guy who goes later, and that's an upside pick. That's an upside. They, the Saints didn't need him. All of a sudden, they're like, halfway through the year, they're like, this is our running back number one. That's that's how you want to do it and to me Walton didn't have that upside
2: yeah it's not it's not so much a question of the position they took and the value of the position in the fourth round I I, maybe maybe we did get it in on them a little bit too hard for taking a running back in the fourth round because generally like
1: we did not because they needed so many other positions
2: I yeah but it's the fourth round Joe like I'm never going to get upset about the position they take in the fourth round but I can get a little picky about the specifics of the guy they take in the fourth round, and I think that's my bigger issue with
1: Walton than the position. They've hit better in the fourth round than they have in the third round, and someone and we're arguing third round five questions ago. In my opinion, fourth round has been just as as beneficial to them, or or had been a, more of a goldmine um, for yeah, their for their roster.
2: Isn't that an exception for the Bengals? I, it I know is. it's a trend, but most teams are you, the higher the round, the higher the hit rate. Period. The better, right?
1: Yes, you're not wrong, and my point is just that I wasn't ready to just. In my opinion, that is a pick you spend in the fifth round and later. For okay. me, I still think fourth round you can get a player that comes in and either contributes or can contribute down the line. And fifth round is like when you take a pick for special teams and maybe the guy helps in three years. Plus, running back, you, they can play year one as rookies. And you had no plan for this guy to play year one. I mean, that's, in my opinion, that's a complete waste.
2: I just pulled up the draft so I could see who went directly after Deshaun Hand would have been a fantastic pick. Jordan Whitehead might have been a pretty good pick, a safety. What pick uh, are we at? What, what where were the Bengals? Four, they're they're one twelve there. Mark Walton. Oh, okay. Ahead of Deshaun Hamilton, Deshaun Hand. Deshaun Hand's the one that stands out to me
1: because they had a need at that position, too. The Cowboys really liked Doris Armstrong as a... uh oh, Anthony Averitt I liked as a corner from Alabama. Yeah. Um. Let's see who else is here really quick before we... we. Maddox played really well for the Eagles at corner um, out of Pittsburgh. Edo Smith, running back. There's a running back that came in and might be the, the one of the lead backs for the Falcons at 126. So... In my opinion, taking a Southern Miss guy that tested well and had the, you know, that's someone that could have ended up helping Josh Sweat, defensive end, Philadelphia. Maurice Hurst
2: goes all the way in the fifth round. I know he had the heart condition.
1: That's right. That pick should have been Maurice Hurst and we're not sitting here asking for Ed Oliver at 11.
2: Let's take a little bit of a break, Joe. We're about halfway through the questions. This is going to be a long one. We'll have a little break and get right back into it.
0: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It is your favorite episode of the week. It's the mailbag. It's my favorite. I know it's Jake's favorite, too. Uh, We're going to jump right back in. This is from Andrew Wells, longtime listener, first-time caller. What do you feel is the potential positive ceiling or best case scenario for the current team pre-draft? If all the players stay healthy, Zach's offense works for Andy, etc., and defense plays to potential. Okay, so
2: if everybody stays healthy, that means that Tyler Eifert's healthy the whole year. It means Tyler Boyd's healthy the whole year. It means AJ Green's healthy the whole year. It means there's no injuries at cornerback. It means that there's no interest as a linebacker. Let's say they hit Devin Bush in the first round and he comes in and plays at a Roquan Smith level, which I think is probably generous, but we're talking best case scenario here.
1: But that's what you should expect, I think, Roquan Smith level. I mean, we're not asking for Leighton Van Der Esch level, are we? For, for Devin Bush? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh Then that means
2: also that Carl Lawson's healthy. So you have Lawson, Atkins, and Dunlap. They're going to combine for 40 sacks between the three of them. Uh, Tyler Eifert's going to catch 12 touchdowns. A.J. Green's going to go for 1,500 yards. Tyler Boyd's going to go for 1,200 and eight touchdowns. Joe Mixon's going to be another. Oh, you
1: got them in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I mean, if we're talking best case scenario, there is a small world out there where the Bengals are in the playoffs. If if this is saying, if everyone's healthy and if the defense plays to their potential, that means William Jackson's a shutdown corner. That means that they have a linebacker. It means that they're getting their pass rush. It means that Andrew Billings is a run stuffer. It means that Drake Kirkpatrick has, you know, lived up to, uh, I guess Drake Kirkpatrick is what he is. It's hard to really project there. And that's not to say that he's bad. It's just, but he, he is could have a he career is. year. He could have a career year. Is it a contract year for him? No, he's still no. got two, I two, think two years. Okay. So, so yeah, there's a world where they are the 2015 Bengals. If
1: everyone stays healthy and everything goes perfect. Is that the max? Because we don't expect a rookie quarterback to a rookie head coach to uh win the Super Bowl right so they they're not capped at, at that are they they can't do that i I mean isn't that what happened in Philly no second year
2: second year okay
1: yeah you should expect second year I mean second year same hit same for quarterback and head coach that, that your window is open then and maybe that because that usually coincides right yeah. quarterback and and, and coach yeah. usually happen on the same year and they will and uh, load up on free agency in the second yeah, year exactly like we talked about yesterday so Maybe that's why that wouldn't happen. But yes, best case scenario, there's a lot of ways this team could win. I mean, they could have won Super Bowls, best case scenario of the last in the last since 2012, I'd say. And it's just unrealistic to expect best case not to be a Debbie Downer. on. that's not what I'm trying to do here. My point is, he asked, "What's the positive scenario?" The positive scenario is they're really good. Uh, you know, I don't think I'd say best case they're eight and eight. That'd be silly. I think they have more than enough. Individual players, without even knowing how the coaching staff is going to pan out, individual player-wise, they have plenty of guys that can win one-on-one situations and dominate a game, any particular game. Uh, so if the coaching staff is correct and everyone stays healthy, yeah, yeah, this is will be a very fun team to watch. They have the weapons for sure, right? Between
2: Eifert, Boyd, Mixon, Green, if Cordy Glenn is healthy, the left side of the line looks a lot better. And we're Billy talking Price about positive
1: ceiling for John Ross?
2: yeah. Yeah, you can dream on it for sure.
1: I think you're dreaming on it, though. I think you are, too. I think chances are you're going to... I mean, uh, uh, an opposite question would be pick five starters that are now out for the season. How do you feel about this team? Um, Because that's more realistic.
2: Yeah, and then it becomes coaching, like how well can we continue to get these guys into positions where they can win on the football field when we're missing the guys that can win one-on-one exactly and that that's the realistic bit and it's just it's just hard it's hard in the nfl to win and i'm not saying the bengals can't do it but from what we saw the last few years and with their coaching it. staff as inexperienced as they are it, it i don't know we're we're trying to stay positive with that question i appreciate that i appreciate the sentiment there And and it's something Good. to dream on right so that's yeah,
1: I, I like that question. It's fine because we should think of what the uh, the full potential is, so that we have a target. You know, if, we, yeah. if you don't ever believe you can reach your full potential, well, then you're limiting your target already, and you're never going to even reach that. So for me, let's what is the positive? What could this team do if they're coached correctly and stay healthy? And then if they do stay healthy and they don't reach that, well, then we know we've got issues other other in other areas, and mainly probably coaching. Uh, so it's fine to, to look at what the positive can be.
2: Yeah. Next question comes from Harold. Harold. At CH Gola, why did the Bengals choose some of these guys over others? For example, B.W. Webb over Bryce Callahan, Preston Brown over some of the other linebackers out there. Why not Mark Barron or Eric Berry and
1: move Sean Williams to, to a linebacker role? And most of that is probably money and familiarity. For me, if you look at B.W. Webb over Callahan, it's definitely probably familiarity plus money. They definitely sa- saved a lot of money by sa- signing a B.W. Webb than um, some of the top nickel corners in-, in free agency. And Bryce Callahan, I think, was
2: always going to follow his defensive coordinator to Denver. So Fine. in that specific case, but if you ask why
1: why BW web over like dark West and R, then it's money, right? And Steven Nelson, there's a bunch yeah. of other nickel corners that have signed and, yeah. and YBW web? So, and then you go Preston Brown and familiar for me, I think it's familiarity. Number one, we've talked about familiarity, why the Bengals act the way they do in free agency. That is a big factor in my opinion. Uh, but some of the linebackers got paid a lot of money and some of them weren't exactly fits. And how does, how are they, aren't they fits when you don't have any linebackers on the roster, but you know, We don't know what the scheme actually is right now. So if the Bengals choose that Clay Matthews isn't a fit, it's probably because he's not a fit or he's too old. Or maybe Clay Matthews wants to actually chase a ring in L.A. And he's from L.A. So uh, last part of that was why not Eric Berry. And I think Eric Berry may get paid. But at the same time, Berry has been pretty bad and been limited for the Chiefs. I'm not even sure he's a safety anymore. He might just be a linebacker. If you watch the Chiefs-Patriots game, they attacked Eric Berry that last two minutes and really... Is he was a big reason why they lost that game.
2: And if it's you know Earl Thomas or Tyron Matthew, it's it's money. And it was a loaded safety free agent class, and a lot of those guys got paid, which I think surprised some people.
1: I'd rather have Sean Williams than Eric Berry. Yeah, but what
2: about what about you know Adrian Amos? Sure, I'd rather have Adrian Amos. Then we then
1: we then we move Williams to uh, to linebacker. Right. So, questions fair. Next one's from. Cortland Geyer, he asks, I love your Mock Draft Monday episodes and would very much like to know how you rank the following players and their fit with the Bengals team. Ed Oliver, Devin White, Devin Bush, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard, Kyler Murray, and Dwayne Haskins.
2: We've had this debate in some form or fashion, I think, on mock draft Mondays in the last few weeks. And it, it we we've done things differently for the sake of doing things differently a couple times too. I think for me it goes Kyler Murray at the top because I'm a believer. Devin White second. Oh Ed Oliver second. Devin White yeah, I was third. gonna say
1: for me Ed Oliver's number two.
2: Ed Oliver second, Devin White third Jonah Williams, fourth, Hawkinson, fifth.
1: Fant or Bush? Uh, I was going to say Bush, Fant, Haskins, Dillard. And I wouldn't change too much of that. For me, I wouldn't even have quarterbacks on the same ranking because for me it's either are they franchise quarterback or not. Yeah. And for me, I'm not 100% sold um, on either guy, but I honestly, I don't. You don't, I don't think you have to be 100% sold, would be Andrew Luck. For I just have to feel confident enough that my coach feels confident enough also for a GM role. Oh, I, I like Baker too. So there's been guys, but I wasn't even 100% on Baker. There were still some issues there in terms of past character, and he was, height wise, he was a, yeah. uh, on the short side. So um, I would, if the Bengals go out and take Murray or Askins, I'm ecstatic because I love the idea of, of getting that opportunity to start over at quarterback. But. If I'm ranking these guys, I think Ed Oliver is a blue chip. I think Devin White is a blue chip. How I split them is their impact on the field, and I think Ed Oliver um, would impact more plays and, and provide pass rush, which to me, pass rush is the the key to defense in today's NFL, especially interior. I want Ed Oliver at all costs at 11. Uh, I would take Devin White as my next pick. I think adding him, you add a premium talent, two linebacker, add speed to this middle of the defense. I'm all for it. For me next honestly I'd probably put TJ Hawkinson I think Hawkinson as a blocker as a receiver route runner I think you end up with an extreme talent at tight end I don't think the need is there as strong but I I, you know I don't think CJ Ozama is the number one type tight end and the commitment is not long for Tyler Eifer and in chances are he gets hurt. So they still need a tight end. So I'm not completely against it. Uh, And I still don't think they have a wide type tight end. I think they have two move guys as their number one and number two, and even the backups. So Hawkinson still fits very much so and could play a lot in 2019 and really would step into the starter role in 2020. So for me, Hawkinson still fits. Uh, And then I'd put Jonah Williams. And I still like Jonah Williams. I think he's going to be good, but not great. And that's fine with me because we need that at tackle. But where would he play in year one? How much would he play? If I'm arguing that same thing for, for the tight ends, I should argue that for the for the tackles right now. And then I'd probably put Bush. No, I'd probably put Noah Fant next, and then Devin Bush. So I, for me, that's where my list ends because I don't know that I'd consider Dillard at 11. It would be a weird run of the top 10 picks for me to get to Dillard. Mm-hmm. I think one, one or two or three of these guys are probably on the board for at 11, uh, and that's I'd be happy with all of them of uh, the ones I listed. You did a very good job of articulating
2: the why. I think our orders are very similar. I I played by the rules and put Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins in my list, but that's a good good explanation of the why. Our next question is from Bill Reset or Bill Rickett. Hey, Bill. I'm sorry if I butchered your last name. Bill asks, does the Bengals end up not taking Devin White or Devin Bush at 11? Is Jermaine Pratt a strong candidate for you on day two? And I think we've talked about that's there are some guys on day two day
1: three at linebacker we like is Jermaine Pratt one of them yeah Jermaine Pratt for me definitely is I think uh tone setter physical run defender from the inside uh was a little bit more athletic than I expected especially at the senior bowl with everything they had going on there with their measurements I like Jermaine Pratt I think he is probably a plug and play middle linebacker where some of these other guys maybe weak side guys that we've talked about on day two day three I like Pratt a lot and because of the value or the guys that we've kind of started to target at round in rounds two and three at linebacker, it kind of made us fall off the idea of Bush or white at 11 and a few mocks we've done Jake. And one of them is because of Jermaine Pratt. So uh, yes, I think that's very possible. I think that's a real scenario. I question how he would fit with Preston Brown is my only thing, because I think both guys would definitely be inside linebackers. Maybe you play one at Sam, But I think that's kind of how they did with Ray Maluga. You're just kind of wasting them until you eventually put one of those guys back inside. So for me, unless they're going to a 3-4, then you you figure it out that way. But, uh, you know, yeah, I would still take them and figure it out later.
2: You got nothing to add to that? <laughs> I do not. No, I, okay. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the other guys. A lot of the other guys we've looked at in later rounds are the smaller, weak side safety, yeah. you know, previously would have been like their are tweeners. They're, are they safeties or are they linebackers? And Now they're linebackers. And those are, those are the other guys we've looked at for the most part on day two, I think so far. Blake Cashman, uh, Ben Burkirvan, who are the other ones? The Texas guy. Yeah. uh Gary, Jen- Johnson.
1: Gary, Gary Johnson. Right, next question: What do you think? Do you think this is DP Ice or do you think it's D Pice seven one six? What do you think, Jake? Uh, I want to. Uh, I, I want to. I think it's DP Ice. Uh, I like DP Ice a little bit better, but if
2: his last name is is Pice, then you know I don't want to offend the man. No,
1: <laughs> I, I bet his nickname had something to do with ice growing up. Anyways. Yeah. He says, hi, guys. Do you know besides the Rams and Chargers re- relocating to different cities if the Bengals have suffered the most significant season ticket base erosion since 2016 based on the overpaying of marginal players in free agency and not providing transparency, which I think is a big thing, the Pice or Ice, we are on the pres- uh, precipice of total fan base meltdown. Are we? He asks, on the verge of total fan base meltdown.
2: Yeah, I looked at this a little bit. The Bengals have always been kind of in the bottom third in the NFL in attendance. You have stadiums like in Dallas where they're like at 116% attendance for home attendance over the course of the year because they're overselling and I don't know, they have extra seats or something over their listed capacity. But the Bengals have always been kind of a 97%. Even when they were really good in like 2015, I think they were Twentieth, around twentieth in home attendance by percentage capacity in the NFL. So, yes, they've fallen off. They're down to like ninety three percent. I think they're not selling out their home games. How long have they? Did they sell out anything last year? I don't even know. There had to be a primetime game or something, right? Maybe. I, I mean, I think did they even play? They had a Thursday night game. Yeah. yeah, versus the Ravens week two. I imagine Ravens. that had to be sold out. That would be the one, I think, if, if there if there were. But yeah, they've had issues selling tickets. And I think the transparency thing is something. I think we saw Mike Brown finally acknowledge this year that the, the fans are getting to him. They stopped showing up. And so I think he felt like he had... I don't think he would have necessarily fired Marvin Lewis if they were still filling the, filling the stadium and if fans weren't, you know being as loud as they were being so I think the transparency is an issue I think the Bengals don't care what their fans think they I, I feel like I read a lot that they don't really emphasize the experience for fans at games I think fans are generally fed up with a lot of the same stuff there there are some fans that are dealing with you know, these kind of subtle threats that if you don't help us pay for the stadium, we're going to move the team. I think that bugs a lot of people. It's it's hard to say. Like, I'm not a fan psychologist, right? But there definitely seems to be some uneasy times in Cincinnati around the
1: Bengals. The other part is it, the game is better to watch at home, right? I mean, the HD, Ultra HD, slow motion replays, all yes. the stats you get, all the red zone channel stuff, fantasy football stuff. There's not an excuse, a lot cuz other no. teams are still selling out 120% of their stadium. I was going to get to that part.
2: Okay. Sorry.
1: What you're selling now is not the football and not the experience. Or maybe it is experience, but it's not the football quality, it's not the game unless your team is really good, providing hope or you know, making a run for something, which Bengals haven't done any of that in the last 3 years. So, what are they really offering you to get to go to the stadium. There's there's no blackouts really anymore. You can watch your team if if need be. Uh, the internet provides that even if it was a blackout. But point being, there's no incentive to go to the game unless you want to feel like you're part of the team, part of the experience, part of what's happening on the field that something special is happening. And they haven't given you that feeling, so you're not you're not inclined to go. And I yeah. think you have to sell hope just as in the NFL, just as much as a product on the field.
2: And you have to, and I think the Bengals could stand to do a better job of community building, which is a pretty, I think, hot phrase around the world right now is community building. You know they what could, else do they could stand to do that?
1: Yeah. Community building. Cause they, I mean, they hire people online to do that. The Bengals could have, have a better social media person on Bengals Twitter account. you know, not, you ever, you ever read the comments on the Bengals social media? It sucks lately. It's, you know, people are, are angry. It's for re- for good reason. I don't, I'm not saying don't be angry. I'm just saying they could have a little bit more fun and people would have more fun back. Uh, and also I love how he also puts, they, they haven't uh, provided transparency because I think that's a big thing when you're not successful, we can come up with some crazy theories and ideas of why they're doing what they're doing or why they're not doing what they're doing. And w- sometimes it's evidence-based, but not, we rarely have the full picture from the outside. Even people that cover them day-to-day don't have the full picture. And Especially the people the, that cover them day-to-day. They're more yeah, open with national media than local media, are. which I think pisses a lot of Cincinnatians off. Yeah, and when you think about it, if they would explain and be open why they're making decisions, you would you would be a little bit more open to what they're doing and, and see it from their perspective. The fact is, they allow us to... to go into our own minds and, and and dig into our own souls and, and, and talk to other Bengals fans but they're in, in voice frustration with each other of why they're making these dumb decisions rather than them come out and be more open and talk about what they're doing. And they could reach out to media and they could talk to media and I'm not I don't want to include myself in this, but when they do, so I do have, sometimes people reach out to me from the organization and say, well, they're doing this because this is what's happening behind the scenes. And I know you guys don't, don't know this, but this is what's happening. And that's why they decided to do it. And I go, oh, great. I'm glad you did this. This makes more sense to me. Now I don't have to go with the angle of you guys are idiots and I can go with the angle of this player is not putting in the work. So if they did that more often and would allow people to see what's going on behind the scenes, we could get on board a little bit more. Yeah, just just talk to the media a little
2: bit more. You know, let answer my email, Bengals. Please, I just <laughs> right. I just want to be able to sometimes ask you guys if I can talk to a player or a co- I don't know. I know you. I know the Bengals have a very strict policy
1: on credentialing media. Next question. Well, I, comes – I know firsthand. Remember they 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 denied my credentials last year, trying to go yeah. down to cover. Um... I remember, and that's that. why I'm mad. I'm still mad. That's why I think this team sucks. That's it. We got to the bottom of it.
2: Stop denying us credentials. the jungle for years, has tried to get credentials to go cover the games because other SB Nation blogs are credentialed for their respective football teams Look at the and the Chiefs. That Chiefs, the, the, the primary, I think, the Website. biggest
1: coverage for the Chiefs is is the SB Nation Chiefs blog. Yeah, the Chiefs like just adopted the SB Nation Chiefs blog and like, oh, this is us now. And they're allowed to be critical of the team and the Bengals are Wildly successful.
2: So popular. Next question comes from Apathetic Reds fan. And this is the fear, I think, from that previous question. is apathy starting to set in. Does the fact that Taylor Ogles QBs mean a QB early is much more in the mix than it seems? Since there have been tons of free agent safeties, are any of them a fit for moving to linebacker possibly for the Bengals? And if we ignored the Hart and Brown signings, would free agency have given more hope?
1: I'll answer Three the questions. first part. Yeah, that's uh, I'm, that's why I'm I'm stuck on the last one. If we ignored the Hart and Brown signings, will we have more hope with this team in free agency? Yes, but at the same time, they're trying to, f- you know, I, I have two minds. First mind, yes, I feel more hopeful because now we're not reliant and expecting this team to play subpar or even average talent bar being Hart, average being Brown, at positions of need. But at the same time, my other side of my brain thinks, well, they also have to field at least a moderate team, a team that can you know go out there and not embarrass themselves. And part of that is Preston Brown signing. I think Hart still embarrasses you. But point being is they don't view it that way. Uh, and that opens the draft for them. And I've advocated that that's a fantastic way to go about drafting. So I'm okay with that. The other side is... Yeah, but they could have spent a little bit more money on a few other guys, or attracted other guys, or you know what? Don't sign anyone at those positions, and, and draft them. and draft your right tackle, right? And they still have money to spend, right? So
2: my answer to that question is, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with the Preston Brown signing, but if if they take that five million dollars they spent on Hart and five million dollars they have left to spend out of the roughly ten to twelve million, depending on how much they want to float under the cap this year, they could go, they could have, they could have they could have signed a a real right tackle. Uh, what about the other parts of the question, Joe?
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many safeties remaining would allow you to move one of them to linebacker, but this goes to the Sean Williams thing. I do think there are safeties you could sign that to move Williams to linebacker a little bit more often. Uh, the biggest question here, in my opinion, is does the fact that Zach Taylor is out there, and there's we're having fun with the pictures on social media, right, of him playing pocket pool while watching these quarterback prospects at their pro day, but does that mean that they actually like a quarterback more than than we know or, on, or the outside knows? I think... What I've been asking for, even if they—and I'm not asking for you have to draft a quarterback. I'm asking for—I'm asking that they are open to drafting a quarterback at 11. And them being there, showing the interest, and doing their homework is at least them being open. Now, if they don't feel any of the guys are franchise-worthy or potential upgrades within a year to AD Dalton, then fine. Don't draft them. I don't care. But— be open to it it's a stark difference to what happened in 2017 when they said we're not interested in taking a quarterback we're open to every position but quarterback at number nine and that was the complete opposite of what we wanted Mm -hmm.
2: the only safety that i see left that's unsigned is trey boston that that i'm interested in yeah and i don't know if he's i don't know if he's a type that you would move into linebacker deron smith yeah, play him at linebacker,
1: Sean. No, Sean Williams. That's I what I'm saying. You, I you sign it. Yeah. Okay. Right.
2: It, it, would, it would work.
1: We're on the same It's my turn, right? Yep. This comes from Dusty Balls. Oh, wait. Dusty Balls. He asks. You get a lot of Balls f- names, huh? Dusty Balls. I like it. Who's your favorite late round value pick outside of Kalen Saunders? Because we've taken Kalen Saunders a few times, right? Someone who has a high chance to make an impact early.
2: It's, it's hard to say who's going to be there late. Because if, if, if the NFL likes some of these guys the same way that Joe or I or we both like some of these guys, then they won't be there as value picks. But we've talked about Lamont Galliard. We've talked about Elton Jenkins. We've talked about Max Sharping. I kind of want to see what's going to happen with William Sweet, which is a UNC offensive tackle who has the measurables and the production and the grades from Pro Football Focus. And I uh Got Ryan Royal Redlegs to watch a little bit of William Sweet's tape and said there's something there potentially. Or wait, maybe maybe he nasty said nasty guy, right? Nasty guy. But maybe he said I think he didn't like Sweet at first. Anyway, more more to be done on William Sweet, and I think we need to see if he tested. I don't know if UNC has had their pro day yet or not. Um, but there's testing questions there. At linebacker, we talked about a lot of guys on this podcast. Ben Burkherven is the one for me. Uh, who I think might end up going earlier than some people think, but extremely productive at Washington, tested well athletically to make up for his size. I, I don't know why Blake Cashman is getting the the extreme amount of hype, and nobody's talking about Ben Burkervin in the same in the same paragraph, at least maybe not the same sentence. Um, let's I've see. got
1: guys. There, there's some yeah, there's some
2: receivers too. But go ahead.
1: I was saying instead of Kalen Saunders, the guy we've almost taken a few times, at defensive tackle is Rennell Wren, and, and he was he's a nose tackle from Arizona State. He's at the Senior Bowl. Also, he has great power leverage, pop in his lower half, but he's also tested really, really tested well. Great. So yeah, yeah, he's tested as a top athlete. So I think there's more upside to him still there. He was a rotational player at. at in college, and I mean, I'll, so was Grady Jarrett, and that's why I think of him. Uh, Grady Jarrett played nose tackle and in Clemson's defense, so he really didn't get a chance to pop. But when he did get his opportunities to play three tech and five, and you know, and and someone asked on another question, can we explain no one tech, five tech, three tech? Basically, you start from the middle is zero, straight up over the center, and every time you go to the right or left, one spot, and it would be to the shoulder of the center would be one, and then two would be. be be between or right, or right over the guard and then 3 4 5 so the farther you get out the higher you go it's just where you're aligned on the defensive line but point being uh teams are going to view Renel Wren a little bit unfavorably because he was a, a situational player in that defense and there was a lot of times where he didn't play at all and i that means if he's there in the 5th round great because he's got he's definitely the type of pick that has some upside for me also guy I keep coming back to and i can't i'm surprised every time he's rated really low is uh Gary Jennings, wide receiver from West Virginia. He mm-hmm. played a lot of slot receiver for them. Uh, the previous year, he caught, man, I I'm, I wrote him up a while ago, but he I, he caught double-digit digit touchdowns, and then he caught um, 90 balls, I believe, the following year. He's been highly productive for them. And then he went to the Senior Bowl, and I'm like, who's this guy right there? And I go and ask. It was the NFL, uh, it was the Draft Network guys. I went up to their table while they are watching film, and I'm like, who, because I kept peeking over their shoulder, he's, he's winning on these double moves and routes on the outside, yeah. and he could not be covered deep. He was the deep threat of the practices. And they said, it's Gary Jennings. He's not playing the slot. Look at him on the outside. And I'm like, yeah, he looks fantastic. So I think there's a lot of upside still with Gary Jennings. Uh, and if he's, I mean, there's been, in the in the mock draft machines, he's there in the fifth, sixth, seventh round sometimes. If that's the case, slam dunk, let's get it. Yeah, I, watched, I was watching some of Will Grew yesterday, and he really stands out. Like, ball skills, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, he attacks, I mean, he can track the ball downfield for a slot guy, which is not common.
2: Next question comes from Houday Matt, who sent us several questions. We picked one. With the draft a month away, do either of you feel that going in with multiple six-round picks is a gamble? Why not trade for uh, Darren, Lee? Darren Lee or another linebacker instead?
1: Or am I devaluing how good six-round picks can be? No, he's right on. Six round picks aren't worth anything, and it, even if you tried to trade them, it would take like all five, six round picks to move up twenty spots in the fourth round. It they're really they're not worth much other than cheap one dollar scratch off lottery tickets. Really, yeah. you, 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 maybe you win a couple bucks, maybe you, maybe you win $10, 20 and feel real good about yourself that you got a special teams guy that can contribute. But really, they're not worth much. If you can get a, a Darren Lee for a six round pick, you do it. You do it yesterday. We've said this before. You do it. Uh, You do what the Patriots do, and they flip these six-round picks for guys that end up contributing all the time. And it may be a veteran with one year left on his deal, Uh, maybe a former bust. You do it, and you try and see if they hit. Because if they don't, so what? How many of those round pick? Right. How many of those fifth or six rounders? How many of those five are going to make the roster next year? Two, maybe on a high side. You're going to cut four. One's going to end up on, on injured reserve. It's, yeah, look at the seventh round last year. None of them made the roster. Fifth round, uh, Andrew Brown doesn't make it. Devontae Harris ends up on IR, and and, and uh, Darius Phillips plays 180 snaps. So it's not, you're not getting anything out of those guys. You might as well trade them for veterans.
2: Yeah, 100%. Find
1: a
0: pick.
2: 100. F- find find somebody. Like, I don't understand why the Darren Lee hit trade hasn't happened yet, unless the Jets are asking for more. I don't know,
1: but he's right. not. If, yeah, like if they say the fourth other, round pick,
2: then yeah, then I'm out. But like, there's there's other. You look around the league at the value that some of these types of guys are getting in pick swap trades. It's like, why didn't the Bengals do that? Right. Pe- Marcus them, Gilbert them,
1: was a sixth rounder.
2: Yeah, send him three sixth round picks. Kaliciusmelli a fifth. Yeah.
1: Yep, I'm I'm with you. They should be doing this. We should be mad they're not trading those picks, if anything. I just dropped my paintbrush. Anyways, next one from Snowman493. After watching how this club has gone about business the last couple of weeks, I am trying to accept that they are likely following the same old blueprint and drafting a first-round corner. Could you discuss who would be good value and and picks at number 11? Uh, I haven't looked at corner at all. You don't have to. There are none. Greedy Williams is the best one. The thing about first round corners is you have to run fast. You got to run a 445 or better or you're not going in the first round. If you follow Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, he he talked recently, he did a whole uh, thread on Twitter of of after talking to GMs and scouts and and personnel people. And everyone's going back to the next two guys, DeAndre Baker and oh my god, I'm losing the name of the um there's two, after Greedy Williams, there's two corners, and I'm forgetting the other guy's name, I'm sorry. But both ran slow, really slow. And it's going to force teams to go back and watch because it becomes an extreme risk to take that guy in the first round. Now, they may still go in 25 to 32, but the Bengals aren't picking there. So at at 11, it's only Greedy Williams from LSU, and he ran fast. And he's long and lanky, and he's got ball skills. But he is, at times, very allergic to the run and the physical portion of the game and has some transition and stiffness um issues much like kirkpatrick ken but he this guy has the ball skills and the top end speed so for me uh at times he looks like william jackson and i think that's a good thing and i think he could still have going top 12 because of it and if a team views him that way then yes i could see the pick but greedy williams is really the only guy we even have to consider if it's not him or if he goes too early that's why when people say oh they're gonna take a corner i just don't i there's no one there it's not gonna happen yeah
2: I have nothing to add. Last question comes from Kay Jacobson on Twitter. When planning for the draft, how far ahead do teams look? Are we considering next year's draft class when making picks this year?
1: I don't think – when I've listened to other teams and I read things and I try and – when GMs talk, I try to listen to them. Uh, They are aware of next year's class. They are aware of the strengths potentially – but the problem is, every year there's more and more underclassmen that declare for the draft, and you don't have grades typically on underclassmen. When, say, like January fifteenth is when underclassmen will declare for the for the draft every year, you usually send your scouts to go get your get. I need concrete grades on those guys because you normally have grades on all the seniors. Now we need grades on those guys over the next you know month to update our our system. And so they're really unfamiliar with next year's class. And then the next, next year's class that may declare They're that it's, it's really, they have probably just footnotes to to be honest with most of those guys, the scouts may, but the GM may have just a very, very limited knowledge of those guys. And now they're aware and they, they may know that like the quarterback class is supposed to be strong. The defensive tackle class is supposed to be strong, but to bank on that would be silly when, you're on the clock now and you need to make your team now and you need to keep your job right now. So I, I don't think it happens often. I think they may have awareness of it, but they're definitely focused on this year's. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There, there have to be right. Like there's so much to figure out in this year that you can have some tangential awareness of the next year. You can know that two is probably going to come out. You can know that Justin Herbert's going to come out next year. But a lot can happen from, from one year to the next. And you'll see guys that were formerly you know, thought of to be, yep, yeah, it's going to be Drew Locke next year. It's going to be Justin Herbert next year is what people thought last year. And then Justin Herbert goes back to Oregon and right. Drew Locke doesn't take a step. Will Greer is another one that doesn't really take a step, right? And yeah. then you have these year one starters come out of nowhere and, and Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins and everything changes. So it, and- it's hard to really look too far ahead
1: outside of, like you said, having some guys that you're aware of. And that kind of leads into the one question we didn't answer about Tua and Fromm and and Herbert because when those guys are being talked about as, man, these guys are going to be the first overall pick in 2021 even think of Trevor Lawrence it's with the caveat that they continue to progress you you forget that, it's not right now they'd be that pick, they may but you also, if they progress they definitely will be those picks. Tua, Tua might be this year Two, it might be, and especially because he, he um, weighed in at the Alabama Alabama uh, spring practices and check in, in, in and I believe he was six foot, so that really helps him. But uh, there was a chance he was short, So and Fromm might be short. So this, sometimes it's, it's hinging on, damn, this guy's not 6'2, he's six foot. And yeah. that kills teams and a lot of old school teams. And sometimes it hinges on, uh, well, he just did not have the same type of year this following year. And we've seen plenty of guys, Matt Barkley. Um, is, is one that I think of that comes up a lot, but these sometimes they just don't take that next step. And that's a huge part in evaluation.
2: So that wraps up our questions. There are a couple tweets that I'm seeing coming out right around the end of recording that I want to just draw attention to Dallas Robinson tweeted us and says, if the Bengals don't take a quarterback in the first round this year, they'll become only the fourth team since 2011 to be assigned three consecutive top 10 picks. Although this one is 11.
1: And they picked 12th the year before. Yeah, so maybe
2: maybe not quite precise. But they'd be the first one to not use a first-round selection on a quarterback
1: in that, yeah. in that span. But that's still noteworthy. Because top 12, I mean, fine. You could say they were top 10. And yeah. you you don't typically draft this high three years in a row unless you need a quarterback. Right? Yeah. Even if, no matter what you feel about Andy Dalton, the truth is either he's been hurt Or hasn't been effective enough with the talent around him or the offensive line or the bad coordinator to get this team past the point of picking top 12 and being one of the worst teams in the league for three years in a row now. And it could be any quarterback doing that. It could be Matt Stafford. It could be Derek Carr. You still hear about these teams. You hear about the Raiders right now potentially drafting a quarterback. And it's because you don't pick top of the draft and not consider it. Yeah, And we talk too much about quarterback in this podcast. I think people just want to because of what's going on. It wasn't by design. These are the questions you guys sent. We talked about a lot yesterday, so maybe that's also a hot-button uh, issue right now. But as long as Zach Taylor keeps showing up to these pro days and oogling and these quarterbacks, we're going to talk about it. Yeah.
2: One other tweet that I want to call attention to, PFF Steve, Steve Palazzolo, is just doing a series today, it looks like, of saying – PFF grade college to to the pros and with when when offensive tackles since the 2015 draft class have a 90 plus pro football focus grade in college they average a 70.3 overall grade in the NFL and under that 90 threshold they're averaging a 61.7 PFF grade in the NFL more specifically at pass protection their thresholds at eighty-five plus in college translate to seventy on average in the NFL. Between seventy-five and eighty-five translates to sixty-four in the NFL, and sixty-five to seventy-four translates to sixty in the NFL. So, just some interesting data coming out there correlating. I like uh, that. PFF grades to average performance in the pros which is something that i think is a really good avenue for PFF to explore more and tell us more about those correlations
1: you should say that too steve because i'm gonna that's what i was gonna say i would buy a whole book on all of this every position and uh i would i want to know what this how it normally goes because we use and we want to use production analytics and this would be another form of production analytics even though they are um, a little bit different when they do it so they're actually looking at the tape and driving these numbers so I would like to see more of this. And what it means is if they say a guy was pretty good, the chances are he'll be better than the guys they, that weren't good in college. Yeah. I mean, it and seems, this is, it this seems is obvious average. to say it, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, some people still look at PFF and say PFF isn't the gospel. They're just um, some guys in their mom's basements making up grades. And, I mean, that's obviously not the case. The NFL doesn't subscribe to PFF as gospel, but PFF is, is doing something, and it's worth paying attention to, to what they say. That's all
1: I'm saying. As long as you know how to use it, they're a great tool. If You take a hammer to drill in a screw, you're not going to know. You're going to look stupid. But if you know how to use that hammer, you're going to be able to use it to success. And I think that's how I look at PFF. PFF, you're a hammer. You are a hammer, and I need a hammer a lot. (laughs) All right, guys, that's
2: been the Locked On Bengals podcast. It's been a great week. We talked about quarterbacks. We did a mock draft Monday. We talked about running backs. We talked about wide receivers. We well, we talked about some free agent contracts and the outlook there. We did a reset early this week and nothing happened this week. Everyone thought this would be the week the Bengals would sign free agents, but they signed this week's free agents last week. Maybe we'll get some week three free agents next week.
1: The weekend again, just like last weekend.
2: Yeah, actually, you know what? As soon as we stop recording, they'll sign Danny Shelton. Woo! Emergency podcast. Probably no. not. No. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us. We'll see you next week. Bengals fans, have a great weekend.
0: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast.